0: Uh, listen, it is wonderful to be with you guys, and Adam, thanks for letting me come. And, uh, and I think a lot of Adam. Uh, and uh, we had some good times at camp. We've had some good times since camp. In fact, the last couple years, Adam had me come back and work his week at camp. And so I see some familiar faces because some of your congregation. Have worked at Adam's Week at Camp, and let me go ahead and commend you for that. Camp ministry is a pretty incredible thing. Adam, would you say it influenced you, Camp Ministry? It influenced me. I'm here today because of some people who were there when I was a camper at my little camp down in southeastern Kentucky uh, a long time ago. And so, so thankful to be with you. Good to see the faces, the familiar faces from camp. But I have to admit, this is my first time in Glendale, Kentucky, my first time here at the church. And I mean, I've been by the exit gobs of times, right? But I never have gotten off the exit until today. And what a beautiful community, and what a beautiful church facility you have here. Uh, I was telling Adam before the services, I really, I really love the building itself. Now we know church is not a building; it's the people, right? And uh, it's really people who make things beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. But it's just so good to be here with your fellowship. I have heard about your church for many years. And it's been positive things. And so I want to say thank you for the kingdom work that you have done and are doing and uh, will continue to do. Uh, As Adam mentioned, I I now work at Kentucky Christian University. This is a new job for me. I began working full-time there in January. I'm the director of alumni and church relations. And so every weekend I visit churches. In fact, I was at a church in Columbus, Ohio, last Sunday and next Sunday, I will be in Canton, Ohio and Corbin, Kentucky, both on the same weekend. So that's kind of what I do is I travel quite a bit for the school. And, uh, and so I get to go and share with folks about the ministry of Kentucky Christian University. Uh, Kentucky Christian University is one of our restoration movement schools. It's located in the far eastern part of the state of Kentucky. Uh, if you don't pick it up by the way I talk, I'm originally from eastern Kentucky. And so I'm kind of back home, uh, living back in the area where I grew up, or close to the area where I grew up. But I ministered for several years just outside of Louisville at Spencer Christian Church, and people would often ask me, what's the difference between here and back home? And I would say, well, here, everything moves like this. Back home, everything moves like this. And I kind of like this better than I did this. So so anyways, so it's just great to be with you. Uh, I want to share with you today a little bit about the school because that's a part of what I do, but I also want to share with you a message of encouragement. So if you have your Bibles with you in a few moments, we're going to look at a passage of scripture together from First Corinthians chapter 16, if you want to have your Bible uh, ready for that. Uh, we have a We have a saying around Kentucky Christian University. Um, we have a saying around there, it's, it, it, it's simply this, it's, it's for the good of the cause. If you've ever received a letter from the school, maybe you, you saw that salutation somewhere, or if you went to school there, you would have heard that statement, for the good of the cause. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I was a student there and, and I didn't truly understand what that statement meant. I kind of had an ideal for the good of the cause, or well, what's the cause? The cause is Christ, Right. Uh, the call—the cause—is—is is, is the Great Commission. That's what we're called to do. But I didn't really fully understand it until I did a little research. And what I discovered when I began researching that statement, uh, what I discovered is that it was first stated in—in uh, in the year 1918. On September the 7th, in the year 1918, a fellow by the name of J.W. Lusby, J.W. Lusby was a lawyer who moved from Central Kentucky to Eastern Kentucky, he stopped in Grayson because that's kind of where the train tracks stopped for the most part uh, at that time. And he stopped in Grayson and he began a law career. But after living in Grayson for a short time, he recognized there was a greater need in that community and in other communities there in Eastern Kentucky, and that greater need was for education. And so he immediately began working to try to develop uh, schools there in that community one of the schools that he put a focus on was what used to be called a normal school. This is a phrase or state uh, that we don't use anymore. Years and years ago, normal schools were schools where individuals who wanted to teach in public schools would go to get training so that they could pass the state certificate. Usually, actually, I think back in that day, it might have been a county certificate so that they could teach in that county. Uh, it wasn't like going to a college now to get a teaching degree. It was going to get training so you could pass that certificate. And he began a normal school there in the community and began working uh, to build a high school, which there wasn't one in Grayson uh, at that time. And along the way, because he arrived in the early, uh, early 1900s, along the way, he had a calling on his heart to build a school that would train preachers and teachers, and so on September the 7th, 1918, he submits this want ad to the Christian Standard magazine. Many of you are familiar with that. That's Christian Standard has been around for a really long time. He, he, and here's what he said. Wanted married man with sufficient income to live on, to take interest in, and to help build school purely for the good of the cause. Now, if you're reading between the lines, what he's really saying is... is I'm asking for somebody to come help me to start this school, and we can't pay you anything. That's what it means purely for the good of the cause. They ran that article in September of 1918, and surprisingly, um, a preacher out in Iowa by the name of J.O. Snodgrass and his wife read that and accepted the call. And they moved from Iowa to eastern Kentucky. And along with J.W. Lesby, they began what was originally called Christian Normal Institute, a school for training preachers and teachers. Uh, and, uh, and through the years, the school name has changed a couple of times. Uh, at the end of World War II in, uh, in 1944, they changed the name from Christian Normal Institute because by this time, the normal schools were kind of phasing out. They changed it to a more appropriate name, Kentucky Christian College. In fact, that's what the school was called when I, when I landed there in the mid-1980s, Kentucky Christian College. It's interesting, on a day like today, Memorial Day, uh, or Memorial Day weekend, uh, it's interesting to note that uh, the, the, the campus population uh, exploded at the close of World War II, and uh, many young men came to school on the GI Bill and trained for the ministry at, at the close of World War II, veterans. Who came on campus and it really did in the history of the school change really the, the trajectory that the school was going in when that took place then they changed the name again in 2004 uh, to kind of fit the model that the school was working in. They went from Kentucky Christian College to Kentucky Christian University. A university is a group of schools under one umbrella. And we, there at KCU, we have a school for business, a school for education, a school for psychology. We have a school for nursing. In fact, our nursing school is the top-ranked nursing school in the state of Kentucky right now. Uh, and then we have the school that I'm fondest of and also our president Dr. Terry Alcorn says this school has to be the flagship school in our university, and it is the Kieran School of Bible and Ministry. Uh, This past year, uh, we had about 600 students as a part of the the, the student body at KCU, and uh, 78 of those students were in the School of Bible and Ministry. Uh, so so I, w- I would love to share with you more about the school, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to pick up a copy of our magazine that we put out I've got it on the table out there. You can learn a lot more about what's going on on campus by looking at this. If you have uh, someone who's uh, interested in the school I'll be out after the service. I can share with you about that. People often ask, how can we help the school Now let me let me say this Kentucky Christian University is is just one of many good colleges that we have in the restoration movement just one of many and I know you guys have some connections to some other wonderful schools here with your staff and with with people here at the church we're just one of many but let me say this there's not as many as there once was and so we feel like the ministry that we do and the ministry that other colleges and and universities in the restoration movement are doing is vital to our movement of churches and so people ask often, how can we help the school? First thing you can do is pray for us. We need all the prayers that we can get. In fact, I don't believe God does any great things. He can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to. Man, he really does great things on the foundation of prayer, doesn't he? And so we ask that you pray. Uh, we, we ask if you're able to financially support. Uh, we, are, we are striving to advance the, the institution in many ways, and, and I can talk with you about that if you have a desire to do that. And then we ask that you send students our direction. Uh, We would like to partner with you uh, in training people and, and educating people so that they can be a light for Jesus in the workplace, in the marketplace, and especially in the church. I believe that during my lifetime, at least I can say this during my lifetime, I'll be 56 this year, during my lifetime it's darker now in our culture than it's ever been. And we need young men and women being trained to shine the light for Jesus in the workplace, in the marketplace, and especially in the church for the next generation. And so we're looking for partners to help us with that. Let me ask you to do this. Let me challenge you to do this. If you're not praying for God to raise up young, young men and women in your church. To go into ministry. I want to challenge you to begin doing that now. Whether you send them to KC or not. We'd love to, we'd love to partner with you to educate them. But, but, but start praying now. That God would raise up young men and women. To serve in ministry. Because it's darker now than it's ever been. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. So pray for that. Pray that God will raise up Timothys from your church to serve. Uh, Adam's church did that. My church did that. And I know you've done that here before. Continue to pray that prayer. All right, let me jump in the message. I think I've said enough about all that, right? Okay, let's let's jump in the message. Um, When we think about for the good of the cause, the cause being Jesus, that's really what you're about as a church and what we should be about as Christians, that we're always promoting the cause of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. So the phrase, for the good of the cause, is is really a phrase that should stick with us because we should be about that. J.O. Snodgrass and his wife came at a sacrifice to help start a a school in the the hills of eastern Kentucky. Uh, In fact, J.W. Lusby, who was the founder of the school uh, from the fall of 1919 when they began having classes till the day he died, it was a June day, Uh, In the year 1937, he was out looking, it was after church, it was in the afternoon, he was out looking, it was a Sunday, he was out looking at some trees because they were trying to find some lumber that they could build more space for students to live when they were on campus. And he died of a sudden heart attack there that day while he was out there. From the fall of 1919 to the summer of 1937, his entire presidency as the president of of what's now Kentucky Christian University, J.W. Lusby, Never received a salary from the school. You see, being devoted for the good of the cause means that we have to have a degree of devotion for Jesus. And and sometimes it demands personal sacrifice. In fact, often it demands, always it demands personal sacrifice to take a stand for Jesus in this world we live in, to be the light that he's called us to be, to shine brightly. So there's this little verse of Scripture in the last chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, that I think if we can apply these, these, these two verses, it will help us to always be focused on the good of the cause, to always be focused on our ministry, not only corporately as a congregation, but as individual believers as well. So let me read for you. The Apostle Paul, he writes the church at Corinth. This is one of the two letters we have recorded in the New Testament that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians is a disciplinary letter. What I mean is is that the church had a bunch of issues. And if you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is is addressing those issues one by one as he goes through uh, his letter that he's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, I know some of you probably have received a disciplinary letter at some point in your life. I know that I have. Actually, when I was a student at KCU, I received one, uh, you know, saying, yeah, you got to straighten up and fly right, right? That's what disciplinary is all about. It's telling us to straighten up and do better. So that's what, that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. Second Corinthians is a letter of restoration. They made changes. Things were going better. Paul was reminding them of the grace of God. But at the very end, in chapter 16 of his letter to the church, telling them some things they need to correct and do better, he gives these two verses that I believe can be very pivotal in our life as Christ followers. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Now, you can, you can breeze right by those two verses and not pay much attention to them, but I think there's incredible value. The first thing he tells the church, and I believe the Lord speaks to us today, is that we need to be on our guard. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We must recognize that we are engaged in a spiritual war. One of the things that troubles me about the church and about christians and sometimes myself is uh, it's as if we are not engaged in a spiritual war every day we walk around and go through life and we don't think about eternal things as often as we should and we don't think about the eternity of those around us as we should Uh, we we're, we're engaged every day in a spiritual war here peter reminds us that our enemy is prowling around. He is like a hungry lion looking for someone to eat. Jesus said it this way, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now I'm glad Jesus didn't end it there because he says, I come to give life and give life abundantly. But the thief, your enemy, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know that that's what Satan's goal is for you. He wants you dead in the ground, covered up and buried without a right relationship with Jesus in your heart. And he not only wants that for you, but he wants that for your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors and your co-workers and everyone. You see, because the devil hates you, he hates you because he hates God. In fact, Jesus took it one step further and he said the world would hate us because we love him, right? And so we've got to be on our guard. We have to recognize that we're engaged in a spiritual battle. The problem with many of us is we're, we're trying to live a decent, happy life in the middle of a battlefield. And, and whether you admit it or not, you're engaged in a battle. Whether you recognize it or not, Satan is working every day to steal, kill, and destroy. And so because of that, as the church and as Christians, we have to be on our guard. We have to pay attention. I've already mentioned it, but but uh, but we live in dark times now, darker than I think it's ever been. The culture is changing. In fact, the culture has changed so dramatically. I started preaching in 1988, and since I began preaching, the culture has changed so dramatically, even in the church. In fact, uh, years ago, three or four decades ago, uh, the church was considered uh, w- was seen with a degree of respect in the community, even by those who didn't go to church. Ministry, people who were in ministry, the clergy or whatever you want to call them, they were seen with a degree of respect even by those who didn't attend church. But that's not the case anymore. One preacher said it this way, church, we're not the home team anymore. Meaning that that we're not seen in the same light in the culture that we live in. If you watch the television or you go to the movies or you listen to the radio or or you're engaged with with, with, with what's in social media and what's out there on the world wide web, you'll hear things like the church is outdated. Why are we outdated? Because we believe in the word of God. We believe that the Bible is well without error. And to think that way makes us old-fashioned and dangerous. Well, the word of God is dangerous. It's dangerous to the enemy. So we have to recognize and understand that we are in a battle. We're engaged in a war. One of the things that we've seen at, at, at Kentucky Christian University in this changing culture is now we have more students who come on campus now who don't know Jesus when they arrive. And so one of our goals is to introduce them to Jesus when they come on campus. In fact, we had 14 baptisms on campus this past year. Give the Lord a hand for that. We're so thankful for that. We've got over 300 uh, of, of our students involved in small groups and discipleships groups growing in relationship with Jesus because we want to do what we can do to prepare them to shine the light for Jesus in this world. So, church, we have to be on our guard. We have to recognize the enemy. And, and let, me, let me say this. A part of being on our guard is recognizing where our source, the source of our strength is. And the source of our strength is the Holy Spirit of God working through his word in our lives. And so we must allow the Lord to lead and direct us as we we stay on our guard. Now the second thing that Paul says here that's important is he says stand firm in the faith. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Uh, In an earlier verse in chapter 15, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We've got to stand firm in the faith. That means we stand firm on the word of God. That means we we stand firm in the fellowship of believers. That we stand firm in faith. We allow the Lord to use us, but we do not stray from him. You remember the wise man, he built his house on the rock. And when the storm came, he stood the test of the storm because he had a firm foundation. Jesus was his chief cornerstone, right? The foolish man didn't do that. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And, and, and the culture of our day is pretty sandy, right? And, and when the, the, the storm came, he, his house did not stand. He could not stand the test. So we have to stand firm in the faith. Uh, I love this verse of scripture we find in uh, Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua has just taken over from Moses. Moses has led Egypt. Led the Israel out of Egypt, led them into the, into, the, into the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years because of their disobedience. Moses has died. Joshua now, uh, who was one of the spies uh, 40 years ago, who was ready to, to follow God into the promised land when the others wouldn't. Uh, Joshua has now been named the leader. And here's what, here's what God says to him, uh, beginning in verse 5. Uh, God says this to Joshua. He says, He says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I have sworn their ancestors to give them. Verse 7 Be strong and very courageous. Be careful, listen, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you will be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. And then he says, verse 8, says, I'm sorry, verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the the instructions that God gives Joshua as he's about to lead Israel into the promised land that they've been waiting for for 40 years. His instructions is this. You've got to be strong and courageous. If we're engaged in a battle, we must be strong and courageous, right? So he says, you've got to be strong and courageous. But he makes this interesting point when he says, he said, my word. Meditate on it day and night. Don't de- day and night. Don't depart from my word to the right or to the left. Be faithful to my word. And a part of us standing firm in the faith is simply meaning that we are faithful to the word of God. Listen, God, God's word is still trustworthy today. And I hope that you will build your life on the truth of his word and that you'll put your trust in him. We live in a day and an age where where the American church is shrinking, the global church is shrinking, and we must recognize the call to battle. We have to be on our guard, and we must stand firm in the faith, not departing from it to the right or to the left. The third thing that Paul tells the church at Corinth is he says he tells them to be courageous and to be strong. Be courageous and be strong. We're honoring. This weekend veterans who who paid the ultimate price for us men and women who went to war on our behalf to protect this great land that we live in that we've been blessed by God in and I don't believe any of those soldiers who went uh, into battle went into battle half-heartedly sometimes as Christian soldiers were half-hearted right. But I don't believe any of those soldiers went into battle half-heartedly. Now, they might have been afraid, but they, they went forward, and they were courageous, and they were strong. Brothers and sisters, what I want to encourage you with is this. We're in a fight for the souls of men and women. We're in a fight for the kingdom of God. We are soldiers of the cross, and we're called to fight. So go ahead and make a fist. Go ahead and make a fist. And if you want to, you can put it right under the nose of the person sitting next to you. Don't punch them. Just let them smell it. I had these big old mean uncles when I was growing up. My mom was one of 10 kids. And and my uncles never came in to hug my neck or pat me on the back. They never did that growing up. They'd walk into the room. They'd make a fist. And they'd say, you want to smell this? That's what they'd say to me all the time. So, so, So I think of them every time I think about that. Now, I ask you to make a fist just to remind you that we're in a fight. We're in a fight. In fact, uh... Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. Timothy was the young man Paul was mentoring for ministry. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The New Testament tells us that we're engaged in a spiritual battle every day. So we must be courageous and we must be strong. Many of us, we allow fear to keep us from being the ambassadors for Jesus he's calling us to be. And what I want to encourage you is don't be like Israel that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they were afraid to go where God was sending them. Be like Joshua. Be like Caleb was, the two spies who said, we can do this. Why? Because the power behind us is greater than the task in front of us. And so we must recognize that we're engaged in a battle. Now, I, how many of you like musicals? Go ahead. Right. I'm gonna just, I hate musicals. I don't like them at all. Uh, my family, sometimes just to aggravate me, they'll put a musical on TV and ask me to come watch it with them. Because, I mean, why? if you could just say something, why would you sing it, right? That's what I'm thinking. Just just say it. Don't sing it. Just say it. But there, there is one musical that I remember seeing several years ago. I saw the play. Uh, the musical Shenandoah. Y'all seen that one? I think Jimmy Stewart was in a movie. I don't know if the movie was a musical. I guess maybe it was. Wasn't it? All right, good. I can probably watch that then. Uh, uh, but, but in the musical, there's one song that I do like in the musical. And it, it, the storyline's about a bunch of guys during the, at the beginning of the Civil War. They were brothers and they lived in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. And, uh, and there was one, one song in the middle of the musical. It's called Next to Lovin', I Like Fightin' at Best. Now, that's the title of the song. Next to loving, I like fighting best. One of, the, one, of the, one of the lines in the song goes like this. Next to getting me a kiss, I like making me a fist. Next to loving, I like fighting best. And that, that's always stood with me. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that resounded with me as a young man because I thought I was all about that, you know, getting kisses and making fists. I don't know. But, 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 but there's, there's something true about that song. We need to recognize that we're called to engage in a fight. Which leads me to the last point that, uh, that, that Paul points out here. The fourth thing he says. He says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. And then he says this, do everything in love. This, do everything in love. This is how we fight. We don't fight because we punch somebody in the nose. We fight the way Jesus fought for men and women when he walked the planet. We do everything in love. Now, I'll be honest with you, and this is my default reaction when things aren't going the way that I think they should go. And when I see the the, the world that we live in and I worry about it, the first thing I want to do is find somebody to blame and then find somebody to fight about it. I mean, that's just kind of how we are, right? Uh, And I probably never really go to fight. I just talk about how negative these other people are and how terrible the world is and and it's this political party's fault or that political party's fault or it's this person's fault or it's that person's fault. what, what 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 I believe Paul's instructing us to do, the way that we fight is through love. We love our community with the love of Jesus. Men, we love our wives and children the way the Bible teaches us to love them. Uh, we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's a, great, it's a great commandment, right? Loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. You see, leading with love and all that we do is how we fight the good fight of faith. Paul said to Timothy when he told him to fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, many scholars believe this is the last letter that we have from Paul in the New Testament. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. What Paul is saying, he's saying, Timothy, I'm going to die soon. I know this. And he says this, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, and now, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award on the day, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. The Apostle Paul could say, "I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith, and now there's an award. There's a reward waiting for me, but not only for me, but for everybody who has longed for the appearing of Jesus." Friends, we fight the good fight when we do everything in love, and we lead with the love of Jesus. Paul writes another chapter, actually this is a pretty famous chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We call it chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. Let me read some of it. I was at a wedding yesterday, and this was read at the wedding yesterday, and it's read at most weddings. A part of chapter 13 describes this agape love, this unconditional love that God has. Here's what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I always read that verse twice. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's a beautiful verse, isn't it? Very appropriate for weddings. But this is a life verse. I once heard a preacher do an exercise with this verse that I want to do with you today. He says if you want to check about how well you're doing everything in love, you can take this verse and you can replace the word love And I don't know if you've ever done this, Adam, or not. You can replace the word love, and you can place your name in this chapter, in these verses, where the word love is. And it'll help give you an idea of how well you're doing when it comes to loving like Jesus loved. So for the sake of the drill, I'll put my name in it and read through it again, okay? But as I say my name, why don't you just think about your name? And let's do a little self-evaluation. See how well we're doing at doing everything in love. Here's the way it reads Doug is patient. Doug is kind. He does not envy and he does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. And he is not self seeking. He is not easily angered and he keeps no record of wrongs. Doug does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. He always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes. He always perseveres. Love never fails. Friends, how are you doing when it comes to doing everything in love? I'm not perfect in this list. In fact, every time I do this exercise, I'm convicted. Because I know I'm, I'm not measuring up, but I recognize this is the mark. This is the goal that I need to strive for in my life so that I can do everything in love and when I'm doing everything in love that I'm fighting the good fight of faith I'm standing firm on the truth of Jesus Christ I am on my guard I hope that I am a light shining in a dark place you know light is irresistible you go to a dark place you you just you just you just turn one little light on maybe just light one match And everybody in that dark room immediately looks to the light. Light is irresistible because Jesus is irresistible for those who can see him. So we have to shine our light for him. Amen? So, let me encourage you. Be focused on the good of the cause. Recognize that God has called us out of our comfort zone to be sacrificial in the way we live, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Amen? I'm going to share one last little story with you, and I'm going to hush. That's what you love to hear the preachers say, right? I'm going to hush. Um, when I was a freshman at Kentucky Christian College, back in the days what the name was, um, I had the opportunity to buy a Bible at our bookstore on campus. We called them the one dollar Bible because they sold these Bibles for one dollar. Uh, and uh, the reason that they sold them for one dollar was the uh, the publishing company forgot to put maps in the back, and so they couldn't sell them at the bookstore for fifty dollars uh, all across the country. So they sent them to, they sent them to Bible colleges, and they allowed they allowed Bible college students to buy one for one dollar. So I bought one. A little girl that I was dating I was dating her when we went to school together we were dating and while we were at school we got married she bought one my wife Jill and uh, and I'll be honest with you I loved my $1 Bible I took it to class I took it to church I wrote notes in the margin I had sermon outlines from sermons I'd heard preached when I was sitting in services I used it i used, I I took it to church camp with me I took it everywhere In fact, I took it to church camp so often it started smelling like church camp. I took this Bible everywhere. I loved my Bible. Well, after Jill and I got married and started housekeeping together, uh, her Bible was on the shelf because she had another one she was using. And she has two younger sisters. They were preteens at this time. And they didn't have a Bible. And she said, well, I'm going to give my $1 Bible to my sisters. And I said, that's a great idea. And so we did. Uh, But I started seeing how mine was wearing out. And, uh, and, and my wife came up with the idea about getting her girls, her sisters, uh, f- for Christmas one year, a nicer Bible with their name on it. And I said, I think that's a great idea with one exception. When we give them the nicer Bibles, I want the $1 Bible you gave them back. Because I wanted a backup for the one that I was using, I wanted another one. Right? I wanted I wanted to carry two guns in my holster. Right? I wanted to have both of them. And uh, and so so we agreed. The girls were happy to do that. We gave them that year at Christmas their Bible with their names on it, and they gave me their one my wife's one dollar Bible back. And, and one day, sometime after that, I was flipping through it. And I flipped over to the back cover, and I noticed in the back cover, they had written their names across. You know people do that when they get a book, they'll write their names. They had written their names in the back, uh, and, and what they'd written across was, and you got to understand, they were like 11 and 12, something like that. Uh, they'd written their names across the back, and, and what they'd written was, uh, was uh, Owners, Cindy and Eva. Oh, that's cute. And then I looked at it, and I realized they had misspelled the word Owners. Instead of spelling the word O W N E R S, they spelled it O W E R S. You see, when it comes to Jesus, we don't own anything, but we owe everything. Amen? Fight the good fight of faith.